0: Hello again, everybody. I'd love it if you could join me in John chapter 5. That's in the New Testament. We are in John's gospel, looking at the third miracle, or as John calls them, signs. These seven signs in John's gospel are leading us down the road to Jesus so that we might believe and have life in his name. John shows us these seven signs so that we can not only see the amazing things that Jesus does, but it reveals something about who Jesus is. And so this evening we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 5, and I want us to ask and answer 10 questions this evening. I'd love it if you could write these things down, and that you would actually reflect and ruminate and sit with these Because I can't answer them for you. It's something we have to answer in our own life in this moment. We find each other tonight. So, 10 questions. Let's get into our story in John chapter 5. So that we might see and believe and have life in Jesus' name. Let's get into it. John chapter 5 verse 1. This is after the healing we looked at last week. So John says, after this. There was a Jewish festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem near the sheep gate in the north city wall, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida, or maybe Bethesda, depending on which Bible you're reading from, I'm in the common English Bible. It had five covered porches, and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he'd already been there a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. Now, what's up with that? We'll talk about that in a minute. Stay tuned. Verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat. And walk. Immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Talk about that in a minute, too. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "Uh, It's the Sabbath. You aren't allowed to carry your mat. He answered, "Uh, The man who made me well said to me, uh, Pick up your mat and walk. Verse 12. So they inquired, Who is this man who said to you, pick it up and walk? The man who had been cured didn't even know who it was because Jesus had slipped away from the crowd gathered there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and he said, See, you have been made well. Don't sin anymore in case something worse happens to you. So the man went and looked. He dimes on him. (laughs) He proclaimed to the Jews that Jesus was the man who had made him well. Isn't that funny? Pause. Sometimes it takes our hearts time to catch up to what Jesus is up to. He had been healed in this brief encounter with Jesus, but something somewhere caused him to turn around and point the finger and shift the blame. Anyway, let's get back into it. Verse 16. Because of this, as a result, the Jews were harassing Jesus, since he had done these things on the Sabbath. Can we pause there real quick? The Sabbath was part of the Ten Commandments, and for generations, they took those words in that commandment, that you shall rest and not work for the Sabbath, that Saturday is holy, because God rested on the Sabbath. This was part and parcel to what it meant to be God's people. They had taken that command for generations and they had itemized, what does it mean to not work? What does it mean to rest? And part of that involved carrying things like a mat. Isn't it interesting that religion sometimes can distract us from the amazing, powerful work of God right in our midst? It wasn't just the fact this guy was flouting the Sabbath law. It was the fact that Jesus responds... This way. Jesus replied, My Father is still working, and I am working too. For this reason, the Jews wanted even more to kill him, not only because he was doing away with the Sabbath, but also because he called God his own Father, thus making himself equal with God. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and we say, Thanks be to God. I want to ask and answer 10 questions. I want to tell you another story later on in my talk. I hope that you'll stick with me, write down those questions, and even reflect on them this evening as we look and see and, Lord willing, believe and find life in Jesus. So, our first question, question number one, is Jesus' question in verse six. Do you want to get well? This is where the whole thing turns This is the gravity of this story here. In fact, I preached this in the beginning of 2021, and we had kind of a reflection evening, and it was all built around this same question, because it's a powerful question. And if you have been near to people who have addictions or some hurts or brokenness, and you know that they need to get into a 12-step or they need to go to counseling, you also have learned that they got to want it. That's just what it is. So many people who are well are well because they've wanted it. So it's got to start now and when we started in January with this question, do you want to get well? That is a question worth pondering. Which, of course, leads to our second big question. The second question I want us to ask and answer is, what would you say if Jesus walked up to you right here, right now, and said, okay, here I am. I might be able to do something about it. What would you say? What is wellness even for you right now? What would you say? Now, Let's look at our man's reply. John says he answered him, but it's an answer that's not actually an answer. Truthfully, it's an excuse. And it's a valid excuse, but it's an excuse nonetheless. He dodges the question. He sidesteps the question. He doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. He says, I can't get to the magic pool. What do I mean, magic pool? Well, if you were following along in a paper Bible, holding it there, You would have noticed that I read and jumped from verse 3 right to verse 5. Because in the footnotes of most of your paper Bibles, you would see verse 4 has been omitted. Because most scholars believe that it was added later to explain the legend that had grown up around the pool of Bethesda. And what the legend was, was that an angel would come and stir the waters. They'd bubble up. And the first person to dive in would be healed of whatever disease they had. So what's fascinating about this man's response, the answer that's not really an answer, is that it's guided not by do I want it, it's I can't. You see, sometimes want doesn't matter when can't is all we see. Sometimes our framework for wellness is limited. Let me explain what I mean. You see, this man's framework for what wellness looked like was limited by society. He's basically saying, look, I can't work. Nobody's here to pick me up and drop me in. I have no welfare, food stamps, Medicare, Medicaid. There's nobody to tear open a roof and lower me down like some other guys might have. Society has dealt him a situation, like so many other of our friends, family, and neighbors, where our framework for wellness has a ceiling. And I think it's important to say that these are valid. We need to become aware of these things as people of God. We need to understand that sometimes there just ain't no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. For that reason, it wasn't just society that limited his framework. It was even self-imposed as well. How do you think this man felt for 38 years knowing he can't work, can't move, he cannot fix it? How do you think his own self-image and self-worth Was affected. No wonder when Jesus says, Do you want to get well? He sidesteps the want altogether and he says, Doesn't even matter if I want to, I can't. What is it that is limiting you? That's our third question. Did you catch it? What is limiting you? Maybe you want to say, want to? Jesus, that sounds great. But you don't know my backstory, my past, my 38 years that led me to this point. Jesus, that sounds great, but I can't. You don't know where I've been. How about for you, it's, uh, Jesus, I can't even fathom this until that. I went through a 12-step recovery process years ago myself, and I remember the first lesson, the first meeting in the first book, and I believe it was the first question, that was something like this, what are the if-thens in your life preventing you from recovery? What are the, well, if I get married, then I'll sort all that junk out. Well, if I get that promotion, then I'll be able to really get moving. Well, if this, then that. What are the if, thens? What are the things that are really just other words for can't, can't do it? I can't give sacrificially or anything, 10%, 1% to the poor, until I pay this off, get this, get that. And Jesus is sitting there saying, yeah, but wellness is at hand here. Do you even want it? You see, sometimes those circumstances are beyond our control, society or self, but they're there nonetheless. But here's the deal we find ourselves waiting in a perpetual waiting room with a flaky doctor, this angel that we hope might, maybe will, promotion, this, that, mm-mm, hope the doctor's in. But Jesus shows up. And when we say, I can't get to the magic pool, Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the pool. This man doesn't know that yet. That Jesus is where we go for healing, restoration, and life. It's where you go the first time, and it's where you go the hundredth time. You go to Jesus For healing, restoration, and life. Which leads to our fourth question. In this moment, right here, right now, at Water's Edge, in that perpetual waiting room, will you dare to trust that Jesus is capable of doing more than we can ask, assume, or imagine? Will you dare stretch and step beyond your Own assumption of what can and can't be done. That leads us to our fifth question I'd love for you to write down and reflect upon. This one stings. You ready? What are the pools I keep returning to? What are the pools that I keep returning to that have that water that is just less than living water? They're the kinds of pools that I have to keep showing up to for three days or 38 years because they're not the kind of pool that Jesus himself is. If you're following along our book for Lent and 40 Days of Decrease, you would have read a reflection on day 10. If you don't have this book, that's cool because we provided a simplified Lent guide that gives you all the same Bible readings and all the same daily fasts. But, I want to read this because I think it gets at that question of what pools do we keep returning to. So, Alicia Britt Cole writes this. Day 10, it's page 45 in my book. Today, pay attention to avoidance mechanisms that surface when you face the unknown, unknowable, uncomfortable, or unavoidable. Do you eat more, sleep more, domineer more, disappear more? Why? Ask God's Holy Spirit to sensitize you today to the existence of avoidance defaults in your life. You see, first we have to come to an awareness of them so that the Holy Spirit might guide us away from those pools that we might dare to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and can actually do what we dare to imagine he can do. When you get yourself into that place, when you allow Jesus to expand your imagination, just get ready for him to show up and show you a better way, which is what he does in our story. Let's keep moving. This man doesn't find Jesus. He showed up at that pool like he had day in, day out, wondering, okay, even if it does stir, there's no way I'm going to get there. But there he is, and Jesus finds him. Jesus doesn't go here, there, 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 there. He had heard about this guy, seen this guy, 38 years. He walks up to him. No one can help. I can't do it. And it's been so long. Jesus finds him. And it's remarkable because Jesus doesn't give a background check. He doesn't ask for his ID. He doesn't ask for a down payment. He doesn't ask for a spirituality litmus test. He doesn't ask anything except, do you want it? The point, I believe, this shows us is not that this man's issues aren't issues. Hello, they really are. The point is that Jesus really doesn't see them as issues or obstacles at all when it comes to his life-giving, reconciling, healing, transformative, restorative work. And he wants us to see our issues the way he sees our issues. And that is this, that they are places of hurt and brokenness that he has come to restore he doesn't ask for a background check 38 years, and you may have heard it said, you've got to clean up all your junk before you come to Jesus. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is already here, and he's knocking on the door, and he's inviting you to give it all to him. Because he can't restore things that aren't broken. He wants your brokenness. He wants to forgive you. He wants to show you the life that is on offer. When you give your life to him, God gives his life to you. Jesus is at work even now. I need you to hear that he's at work right now in your mess, in your darkness, in your waiting. He's at work in ways that are beyond what you can see, dream, imagine, or assume. So this is the sixth question we've got to wrestle with. You ready? How is Jesus stretching you Beyond your assumptions. Maybe he's stretching you beyond what you think he can do or will do or wants to do. But how is he stretching you beyond your assumptions? I want to give you a couple things. Something to know and a couple things to do. Okay? Here's something I want you to know. And it's true. And I wish it wasn't. Here's what I want you to know. There is no formula i know i know we want there to be i know we want if we could just rub the genie this way or drop the cosmic quarter in that way we will get the desired result a plus b equals happy healthy whole and a bmw in the driveway amen hallelujah jesus <laughs> but there is no formula don't believe me man just look Last week, we had a guy walk 20 miles leaving his son on his deathbed and Jesus heals him long distance. We have another guy that needs to be touched and spit on a couple times. No long range there. Jesus is point blank and it's not working. We have somebody that touches Jesus in his cloak and she's healed. We also have an unknown number of any other blind, lame, sick, diseased people around that very pool, and Jesus, we can assume, doesn't heal them that day. There is no formula. Because Jesus is not a cosmic vending machine or a miracle machine. He asks us into a relationship and it's one that involves mystery, but it always involves withness. Whether you're in the green pastures or the valley of the shadow, he promises to be with you because it's a journey, not a formula. And sometimes you won't get exactly what you imagined. But I think we're still invited to imagine that his power although mysterious, is greater than we could ever dare believe. So that's what I want us to know, which leads us to what I want us to do. I want you to pray. I want us to pray, as we say at the Neighborhood Church, believing that God can, asking that God will, and trusting that God loves us no matter what. Enter into the mystery, but keep talking and listening another thing i want us to do is to get up and walk when jesus asks us and how jesus asks us to move it didn't make sense for this guy to get up okay yeah dude i've tried that for 38 years i can't get up some of you are sitting there going dude i can't i can't i can't and jesus is still inviting us to it didn't make sense at the time but It changed the man's life when he dared to put one foot down and the next foot down and he found strength coursing through his body in a way that he had not experienced in 38 years. All because he got up and walked. That leads me to my seventh and eighth questions. I told you to pray. So my seventh question is, what's a big prayer You dare to pray tonight. What's a big prayer? The kind of prayer that you feel weird about. (laughs) Would you pray in Jesus' name and see what happens? Would you enter into the mystery with all the big things you can get your head and your hands around and pray? The second thing I told you was to get up and walk. That leads me to my eighth question. What step is Jesus inviting you to take? I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's going to be hard. I know it might involve suffering and struggle, but what step is Jesus inviting you to take? What's remarkable is this man took a lot of steps. He runs, he gets confronted by the Sabbath police, (laughs) and maybe it was that interaction with the Sabbath police that sent him into the temple, because when you got healed like this, you needed a priest to confirm it, and you should also offer a thanksgiving offering to God because God is in this. He's at work. Which is what gets Jesus into so much trouble. Jesus effectively says, God is working seven days a week, and I am too. I'm the one that's working out my father's business. And that ran so crossways with what they expected somebody to do and say. And it's interesting that even in his walking there's still that heart resistance that I mentioned earlier that still turns on Jesus in a certain way. And Jesus still healed him. Jesus still encountered him in the temple. And I think that's why he instructed him the way he did. Did did it shock you a little bit what Jesus said? I think you might read that and be tempted to say, oh, he was sick because of sin. So that's why Jesus said, stop sinning. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. Elsewhere, Jesus will say, it's not because of this sin or his parents' sin. There's mystery there, too. I think sometimes we invite death and darkness that affects us, but again, there is no formula. I think what Jesus' response is about is really this. You ready? He's effectively saying, hey, you've been made well. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't miss it. Don't walk too fast by it that you miss the opportunity here, the rare and beautiful and terrifying opportunity that there are many more steps you can take. Jesus says, don't waste it. Paul will say in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What Jesus says, what Paul says is, We are liberated for living. Why choose death again? He was a passive sufferer for 38 years. And in one interaction, one encounter, he was healed, he was restored. And what happened was this new, horrifying, terrifying, exhilarating path opened before him where he was no longer a passive sufferer. He was an active participant in whatever happens next. The invitation for him, should he choose to accept it or not, it's the same for us. Don't waste it. Go live it. Which leads me to my story, and then we'll close with our final two questions. I met a woman in a recovery circle, and she would share her encounter with Jesus with anybody with ears to hear, willing to hear. She had been part of a limited framework. Wellness was elusive for her because she had a lot of pain and brokenness in her family of origin, and that led her into a new circle of friends that introduced her to drugs, and that introduced her to addiction, and she just slid further and further into the chasm of darkness and addiction, and she was a long way from her grandma's faith in church. She was addicted, and within her circle, one of her best friends, who was addicted as well, died of an overdose at a young age, too young. So she says that that really deeply, profoundly affected her and scared her, but she was still under the oppression of addiction. She was still using. Well, she talks about how one evening shortly after her best friend died, she goes tanning. She gets into the tanning bed. She lays back. She puts on those crazy goggles, you know, and she was thinking about her best friend that had died, and she drifts off to sleep. And while she's sleeping, she has a dream. And in her dream, her friend that had passed was calling out to her from beyond the grave. And he said, find Jesus. Find Jesus. He's imploring her in her dream. So she wakes up, takes the goggles off, takes the tanning bed roof off or whatever, runs out Because she had to find Jesus but the truth is the way she tells her story is that this is actually Jesus finding her so she runs out she runs down the street she's looking for any church with a porch light on because it's evening at this point and she starts banging on the door of the first church she sees and she could tell you what church it was Because she's shouting at this door, is anybody there? Do, 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 is anyone here? Finally, someone comes to the door, opens it. It's an older man. He's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He was there for a meeting at the church that evening. He was in the right place at the right time. And she says to him, I need to find Jesus. So he says, come on in. And we'll see if we can find him. And he listened to her story. He listened to her dream. He sensed her urgency. She said, I am find Jesus. And he shares with her the good news. That when you trust the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when you trust him as Lord, when you give your life to follow him, you find forgiveness. When you look to the cross and say, I see in here the Lord that is inviting me. And you give your life to Him, you find that God gives His life to you in return. It is a life that is eternal, not just in quality. The life of heaven, God's Spirit invading and transforming you. It's also eternal in quantity. It's a life that extends even beyond death. He shares this good news and he says, Would you like to pray? And she says, Yes, I would like to pray. And she gives her life to Jesus in that little church That one evening with that one guy, she went out because she wanted to find Jesus and Jesus had found her. Jesus found her just like he found this man in John chapter 5. And she got up and she ran just like this man in John chapter 5. And Jesus basically said to her, don't waste it because she will tell you That in that moment, Jesus took her addiction away. Took her addiction from drugs and alcohol away. And I'll tell you, I've encountered dozens and dozens of people in different ages and stages of sobriety and using. And I will tell you that this is a rare story. This is the one person at the pool, and there's dozens more that don't have this kind of dramatic healing. But I will tell you, That while there is no formula, this woman did not waste it. She shared her story of encounter, of how Jesus found her. That leads us to our two final questions, and then we'll close. The ninth question is this What is your story of a time that Jesus found you? What's your story of encounter? Has it shaped you, set you on a new trajectory? If not, why not? Maybe that leads us to our 10th and final question. Where are you waiting for Jesus to show up next? If Jesus were to come to you, and careful, because he just might, (laughs) what water's edge is he finding you at? Where are you putting your hope, your wants, your can'ts? Careful. Jesus just might show up and ask you to get up and walk and find a freedom that's terrifying and beautiful as the new future opens up. So may you be found by Jesus. May you get up and walk. And may you believe and see and find life and in Jesus, because there is no other pool. So, would you go to him who has gone to you? Amen. Good evening, church family. This is tonight's benediction. May God reveal his power and glory to those who are broken when Jesus finds us desperate and waiting at the water's edge. May God draw near to us in our weariness and weakness and send his Holy Spirit to renew our hope our bodies, and our strength. May God find us in our fears, failures, and loneliness so that He can raise us up and grow new courage within us. May God rid us of our resignation to the way things are by pulling us deeper into His passionate, life-changing, and reconciling love. May you walk into the next week in the power and presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.